Jeremiah, welcome to the show. I'm really excited to have a chat with you today. I'm excited to be here, Elena. Thank you so much for having me on. So Jeremiah, my first question to my audience is always like, kind of give us a context of who you are, a little mini career story and what you're up to today. Yes. So uh, I've been in the HR and recruiting space for nearly 10 years, which is kind of wild to say out loud that I've been in, this, in, a, in such a space for around a decade. Um, but I got my start in HR and recruiting at a DC nonprofit where I hired temps from staffing agencies and the ones we wanted to keep. I would convert them to uh, full-time employees. I even handled uh, hiring for a few full-time roles, and I will later become the uh, intern recruiter and the intern program coordinator um, for, for this company. So I did uh, some intern hiring for two summers, 2017 and 2018. Um, and then in the fall of 2018, I made my move to my current company, Axios, where I started as a senior recruiting coordinator, supporting uh, hiring for our tech uh, our tech teams. And I did that for about two and a half years. So in that role, I wasn't actively uh, recruiting folks as I was in my previous role. Uh, but the difference, which I appreciate, is at Axios, I got to get uh, I got to start from the ground up and get proper training and coaching. Um, previously, it was great experience, but it was it was sort of like you know sink or swim. Um, <laughs> but in in the role that I joined uh, or stepped into at Axios when I joined uh, was more of a support role. Um, so again, I did that for about two and a half years, and then um, in early 2021, I positioned myself to be or to take on rather um, a more lead role of recruiting, hiring interns again. So coming. Uh, full circle, um, mm -hmm. and then also hiring for our general and administrative or GNA team. So mm -hmm. your accounting, your finance, your your HR and operations. And then uh, in the summer of that year, 2021, I got promoted to a lead role uh, handling uh, those, handling hiring for those uh, specific verticals. Um, but later in the fall at around Q3, maybe Q4, um, I was asked to lead sales and revenue hiring for, uh, for Axios Media, which is where I am today. Um, so now I hire for all of the roles who generate money for the company. So I hire for the sales team, the account management team, marketing events, and the smart brevity studio. Uh, so if you make money for the company, I, I've hired you at some point, <laughs> right? Um, and aside from my day job um, as a recruiter at Axios, um, I joined the podcast space along with folks like yourself. I launched the Working at Work podcast. So it's working without the G, you can see it right here. Mm. Um, but it's Working at Work. Um, episodes air monthly. And the show is designed to help folks who are struggling to uh, be their full selves at work, struggling to mm. achieve what's called workplace authenticity. Um, my target audiences are women and people from underrepresented groups, because in my opinion, um, in my opinion, uh, we struggle uh, to achieve workplace authenticity more so than our brothers who are, you know, white hetero cis men who don't identify as uh, veterans or active duty military mm -hmm. or military spouse or identify as having a disability. So the mm -hmm. stories that my guests and I share are meant to help people on their journeys to being their full selves at work, at home, no matter who's in the room. Uh, mm -hmm. My other target audience is business leaders uh, because they need to know what their colleagues in these groups are going through. And my hope is that the stories will uh, help them be more empathetic and foster an environment of psychological safety where psychological safety can be uh, fostered and grown. Um, mm -hmm. So that's a little bit about me, um, recruiter, 
uh, by day, podcaster by weekend. <laughs> That's awesome. And I love it then on the last part that you mentioned that you have those two audiences because, you know, uh, it's, it's it, it, there's just two sides to this and like both sides really have to be aware and, and share that knowledge. So, so I love that. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely going to dig into it a little bit deeper, but before we go into your podcast, um, which I'm sure we can spend hours just on that alone, <laughs> but um, uh, I'm, I'm just curious, you know, were you, cause I'm, I'm all, I, I kind of fell into recruiting from my side and I, and when I talk to recruiters it's like well people can just kind of fall into recruitment but I'm curious like did you when you first started off in your that HR career is it something you studied university or is it something that you just kind of found I'm always curious like that connection between what would what, what did people kind of think about when they were younger and study perhaps and where they end up yeah that's a great question uh to your point i found that the people that i know in recruiting most of them stumbled into it i know one person in my entire recruiting network who intentionally went into recruiting um and i like to say that recruiting and hr found me so uh before i got a taste of recruiting uh, at this nonprofit that i was speaking of mm -hmm. um, before i jumped into recruiting on that team i was actually working on the office services team at that company. So basically working in the mailroom, running copies, um, basically an office handyman fixing uh, minor repairs here and there. Um, so I did that for nearly a decade. And um, I showed some interest in other things at the company. Uh, a good friend of mine uh, uh, who was on the communications team, um, he uh, was running, uh, what was it? He was running and streaming our live events at the company. And I took an interest in it. And so I started helping to stream live events. That didn't lead to me getting to HR, but I think people saw in me that I had um, other aspirations, I had other interests. And one of those people was the head of HR at the time. Um, she called me, left me a voicemail. When I saw that I got a call from her, I was like, wow, somebody from HR's called me, what's going on? And she started her message off with, nothing bad, but I have this opportunity for you. <laughs> um, so she had asked me if I was interested in uh, working with the HR team and the accounting team um, in a role that they had opened up. It was an office assistant role, and uh, it was working with the accounting team four days a week and with the HR team one day a week. Um, and I originally said no at first, uh, which is kind of weird when I think about it. I said no at first because I wanted to see where this um, audiovisual, uh, you know, streaming thing was, where, where this was going to go. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm a Christian, so I pray quite often about decisions that I'm going to make. And so one of the recruiters on that team came to me and asked me about the same opportunity. And at this time, I had been praying about what I wanted to do next. And so when she came to me, I was like, wow, maybe this is another opportunity. Maybe this is the answer here. So uh, I took that role working with the accounting team and the accounting team four days a week and the HR team one day a week. Um, and I did that for about a year and a half, a year, some change. And that accounting role uh, as an office assistant evolved into a payroll administrator role when the payroll administrator we had left the company. Um, so I took on that. Uh, and that is when I learned that I'm not a numbers guy. I'm not a spreadsheets person. Um, I don't like being in my office all day looking at numbers. And the one day a week I had with our HR team, I got to interact with candidates that were coming through. So that was when I realized I'm a people person. This was around 2013. Um, so that's when I realized I was a people person. And um, I hated looking at numbers. I hated looking at spreadsheets. So once an opportunity opened up after about a year doing that on the HR team full time. So the way it happened was uh, one colleague was on the way out the door to move to another company and another colleague within that team wanted to take her spot. And then I wanted to take that other colleague's spot. 
So that worked out. So I was able to uh, get into the HR space um, that way. And that's why I got my start working with uh, temp agencies and things like that. So um, yeah, recruiting found me. And uh, once I realized that I was a people person, it made sense for me to continue on that path. Mm. And what I love about that story is that, and why I like to ask people this is because it's always, you know, especially the young people, the young audience that I have, those that are kind of maybe looking to get into specific careers, maybe career change seekers that are listening to this. And often we look for these formulas, these like, well, what, what's the steps? And, and the reality is the more I ask these questions, usually a similar story in terms of, well, I've kind of stumbled on it. I was very curious. I was open. I was able to kind of recognize opportunities. And that's what it sounds like. You were able to kind of recognize opportunities, put yourself forward and say I might be interested in this you know and also have this sort of belief some kind of internal push where you're like okay maybe this this is it and I think it's just bringing that awareness to all of these different factors that often just leads us to that to that pathway you know although it's not it doesn't always look very clear in the beginning but by being curious and trying things and experimenting and believing in it and and kind of just just doing some action towards something will you mm-hmm. know you usually end up in in that right pathway and i think you know like i always said the the action always be, uh, uh, always uh, trumps inaction right so i think it's yeah. just the just taking action towards something and main, maintaining that curiosity which i feel kind mm-hmm. of i hear i hear that theme when you're speaking that's kind of where yeah it's at. yeah and i would add to that piece everything you said was spot on but I would add to that um, just knowing like there's no formula like you said right knowing what you want to do uh, for me it was realizing that I'm not a numbers person it took mm-hmm. me being but it took my curiosity to your point again it took my curiosity and being open to new opportunities and open to new change um, to to come to that realization I would I have known that I was such a people person had I not uh, got into a, a role or an opportunity where I could figure out who I am Right. So, mm-hmm. yeah, all those things. And then just like knowing who you are and what you want, um, I would say dovetails with that. Mm. And to that point, coming, knowing what you want, part of what you wanted was to start a podcast, right? Working at work. So talk to me about that. What was the, was it like a pivotal moment? Uh, something happened? Was it just something that you've noticed and you're like, I really want to create the space for people to share? I'm just curious how you got started. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. So, uh, when I joined, when I joined Axios in 2018, um, I had gotten exposed to how recruiting should be done, by how I feel it should be done. And very early on, I wanted to create some type of content. So it started like this. I wanted to create content for recruiters. I wanted to create content that were going to make recruiters better. I didn't know what that was going to look like. I didn't know if it was going to be a YouTube show. I didn't know if it was going to be a podcast. I didn't know what it was going to look like. So this idea is floating around in my head for several years until I can figure out what the hell to do with it, right? And so 2021 happens, 2020, 2021 happens. And so around the fall of 2020, or winter rather, um, I am gearing up to take on this lead role that I mentioned to and alluded to earlier. Um, And I'm dealing with a lot of internal battles. So there's imposter syndrome. There is, and for those of you who don't know what that is, imposter syndrome is basically a voice in your head that tells you you're not worthy of where you are. You didn't earn it. You're a phony, right? So hearing those voices in my head over and over as I was training to be a lead recruiter was something that I was struggling with really heavily. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another thing was the stress that 
uh, that fell upon me whenever I had to lead a meeting with VPs in the room or with my manager in the room. Um, I didn't want to, I didn't want to fail her. Right. I didn't want to not do my job well in front of my manager. I wanted to look like a subject matter expert to the VPs that I was supporting. So a lot of stress and anxiety came with that. Um, and it really took coaching from my manager who was amazing, by the way, um, I knew she wanted to see me win, but it took coaching from her. It took therapy from um, a professional coach to help me realize that uh, she did, my manager did want to see me win. Um, she wasn't ever trying to create a situation where she can say, ah, gotcha, right? And if I did something that didn't come out right or didn't, um, I could have executed better on, she would give me feedback, right? And I had to be open to that feedback. So my coach, uh, you know, helped me to realize that my coach gave me tools to deal with the anxiety and stress that, uh, that I was dealing with whenever I had to, you know, go into a meeting, I would practice these exercises whenever, uh, uh, I carry, I carry stress on my face. So whenever my face would start hurting, I would go to the side and do these practices and then come back. Hmm. And so as I'm doing this, you know, Q1 2021, uh, rolls around and uh, Q20, Q2 2021 rolls around. I'm getting better at my work and I'm incorporating these, uh, these stress, um, stress relieving practices and getting more confident. Um, and then uh, last year, I got promoted to uh, the lead role, which really boosted my confidence in such a way that imposter syndrome didn't really impact me as much as it did prior to now that's not to say that i'm over it and I, I don't suffer with it anymore i do sometimes um but i have a i have a way of dealing with it that um that really shoves it to the side pretty quickly and part of that just is basically looking into the past and thinking about the hardships that i uh, encountered before mm -hmm. and saying hey i've done this before i've done worse i can do this so after being promoted um and really uh you know building my confidence in um, you know, looking to my, my, my manager and my coach uh, for guidance, um, I realized that this idea that had been floating around, uh, I could do something with it. And I felt this was a time where I felt like I was really bringing my full self to work. I was really embracing myself more fully. Um, I don't get hung up about being the only Black person in a room anymore. Mm -hmm. I don't get hung up about being the only male in the room. Mm -hmm. um, I don't get hung up about being uh, the only person to just finish their degree in their late 30s, 40s. Um, mm -hmm. I don't get hung up on those things anymore mm -hmm. um, because I have the confidence within myself, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so the idea that was floating around, I was like, you know what? I can create a show on how to show up to be your full self. I can create a show on, uh, you know, workplace authenticity. So if I'm struggling with this at my age, there's, there's gotta be others who are struggling with it too. And so that's how working at work came to be. Mm. Um, so around the fall of that year, 2021, I started really thinking about what the mission of my show would be, what my audience would be. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, the goal is to really just share those stories. I share my story very openly. Uh, my guests share their stories very openly. I always ask them, you know, if they were to leave uh, advice for listeners, like what would it be around, you know, bringing a full self to work? 
uh, dealing with things like imposter syndrome, microaggressions, um, mm -hmm. and all these other topics. And I try to get voices from every underrepresented group. Um, I still have a lot of work to do. I'm only seven episodes in. As I said, mm -hmm. there are monthly episodes. Yep. Um, but I'm already looking for season two. So I've already got some guests potentially lined up for season two to, yeah. to get more voices um, and talk about those experiences in the workplace. I mean, mm -hmm. the beauty of being able to be where I am today is I can take this and not only uh, show up as my full self, whether the CEO is on the call or whether, you know, one of my colleagues is on the call, but I can be this, this best version of me, no matter where I am, mm. this, this version of me that, that is talking to you right now, this professional, this father, this black man, mm -hmm. this is the best version that I've ever been. This is the best, this is the best I've ever been. <laughs> um, and yeah, being able to embrace that openly and res with respect, of course, right. um, has been really game changing. I don't want others to experience this too. Mm. Listen, it's such an important topic. And as you know, I'm in that talent development acquisition space. And it's, it's such a need for all of us. Like you said, it doesn't matter. It's not about age. It's not about any, any, anything. It's just, I think it's a human experience that we all often go through. And so it's so, it's just such a great topic to cover. Um, I'm curious. Um, and I'm, I'm just curious, because as I do my podcast, I, I learned so much about myself throughout these conversations and about yep. topics. And, and has there anything like from your side, have you kind of noticed any any anything that you're like you didn't expect this thing to come out of it or anything any themes maybe that came out of that or something that you found surprising like just anything that you might have um come across over this last yeah. seven episodes yeah so there are a couple of things one um when i started my audience was just those groups uh but then i had a colleague who she listened to one of those episodes and found so much power in it and she reached out to me and was like uh, so she leads manager trainings at the company. And so she asked me if it was okay, if she could share that episode as part of uh, curriculum content for manager training. And so that's where that second audience came into play, business leaders. Um, so that was a surprising thing. I didn't see that coming. Mm. Um, another thing I would say is, uh, so I'm married with two kids. And when doing this show, I maybe four episodes in, I noticed where, where I was really fully showing up as myself. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was mostly during the recordings of my show. It was mostly during work. It was mostly during uh, events with family and things like that. But at home, I, 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 I was, I, I had a lot more deference to like, you know, making sure my wife was good, making sure my kids were good. Um, and what I realized was, how can I be this guy who shows up to be his full self no matter where he's at, but holds himself back in his own home, hmm. right? And that's not a reflection on my family or anything like that. Sure. That is just the stance that I've taken for so many years. Um, and so I realized that it's important for me to embrace who I am and be be me fully in front of my family as well. I want my kids to be able to see their dad be confident. I want the, mm -hmm. my kids to be able to see their dad express himself um, no matter who is around and be able to share his opinions and be able to have uh, uh, spirited discussions with their mom or spirited discussions with our friends and still maintain peace and respect. Um, I wanna be able to, uh, so my wife, she's, uh, she's a white woman and uh, we recently went to uh, visit our fam my family 
um, for Thanksgiving holiday. And I had all these hair products. And she was like, do you need this? Do you need that? Do you need this? Old me would have been like, yeah, maybe I'll put this away because it's, it's taking up some space. But the new me was like, yeah, I need that. <laughs> because <laughs> like, you, you don't know what it's like to have this black hair. Yeah. So um, that is an example of how I was and who I am today where, um, I, and, and I still, I still, you know, I, I, I'm flexible, you know, mm-hmm. um, but in a situation where I needed products for my hair, my hair just needed it and mm-hmm. I just wasn't going to budge on it. Um, so those are the two things I would say that, uh, that I have found surprising that I did not expect to come out of doing this podcast, mm-hmm. uh, the content being good for business leaders and inspiring me to, uh, take that, uh, embracing of myself, um, that I do at work and at, uh, and on my show and, and doing it at home and being an example for my children. Mm. That's that's a powerful observation. That's very nice, and I'm sure you're gonna. You, I, I, I'm sure as you kind of continue with, you know, season two and three and onwards, it's just gonna to continue to evolve in so many interesting ways. Um, yeah, I, I look forward to it's, continue to talk to you about it for sure on this particular point. But I wanted to also kind of, you know, you're in that recruitment space, and you know, how do you see this impact, perhaps, like you know. Uh, when it comes to talent, right? So if, you know, how much, especially when it comes to like company branding or, you know, manager um, trainings and things like that, how much do you think it impacts maybe missing out on potential talent? Because maybe recruiters or managers don't always create an atmosphere or safe space for people to show up as their authentic selves. Like I'm curious, cause there's a, I mean, there's a lot of obviously uh, improvements that's been made within, you know, diversity, inclusion and uh, uh, space, but a lot more can be done. Have you seen kind of, you know, is it getting better? How is it really impacting the talent space in general? Uh, this is a great question. And I'm sure someone much smarter than me could have, uh, a, a really detailed answer. But what I would say is uh, as a recruiter, I talk to a lot of folks on a daily basis. And a lot of the things that people are interested in is the culture of the companies that they're mm-hmm. considering working for. So we're managers. So there's a lot. Of, so I'm going to make a plug real quick. So there is a newsletter called the I Hated Here newsletter uh, by Hiba Youssef. She's a friend and from a colleague of mine. She talks a lot about uh, you know, what managers could be doing better in the HR space, what managers could be doing better overall, um, the, 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 the hiring market. And one of the things that I think a lot of managers get wrong or companies rather get wrong is manager training. You mm-hmm. can hire the best talent, but if you can't retain them, then you're in trouble. Uh, I can't tell you how many times uh, in past roles where I would see people, um, you know, especially folks from underrepresented groups, uh, feel isolated because, I mean, and they can be, they're talented people, but they come in. And I remember in a past role, there was a, a young woman, a woman of color, who was really, really bright and she felt isolated in her role. Mm. Uh, and her role was an important role for her team. Um, and the team just failed to create a culture of inclusion. Um, if you can, if you can get the diversity part right when it comes to recruiting and, and and attracting talent, that's all great. But it's nothing. It's nothing. It means nothing if you can't get the inclusion and the culture piece right, mm-hmm. because you because those same people are going to want to leave. Mm-hmm. So 
I think when it comes to inclusion and, you know, just getting that, getting that culture right, uh, manager training is a big part of that. Uh, mm-hmm. People who come into these companies are going to interact with their managers more than just about anyone else. Um, so companies need to get manager training right. Mm-hmm. Uh, leaders at companies need to uh, identify the culture that they want to create for the company mm-hmm. and put practices practices into place. Do surveys, ask the people what they think about the company, ask the people at the company what they want to see more of. And, find, and surveys are, uh, they sometimes can be a pain in the neck if they're not done right. Mm-hmm. But there's surveys are such a powerful tool. So do surveys, listen to what the people are saying, and then find creative ways to implement the things that they want. Um, so that is what I would say uh, in, in terms of a, the question around, you know, mm-hmm. bringing on great talent and opportunities that are missed within companies. Mm. No, I think I think that that's a great answer. And particularly, you know, uh, in the remote environment, you have to be so creative to yep to continue to even, you know, make sure that people do feel included. Um, Something we're doing at the company I'm working with is we have, we do surveys and things like that, but what else has been really eye-opening to the leadership uh, is open forum discussions where it's Mm. basically just, you know, it's an open forum. We do virtual and in person and it's been working beautifully. So basically the staff um, uh, kind of just speaks of whatever topics, you know, concerns, uh, asks and, um, you know, suggestions, ideas about everything from culture to benefits to and everything in between, right? Um, and cool. that actually speaks quite a bit to the 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 safe environment that that we have at this company, which I think is something to be said because not everybody is able to just speak up in front of the senior leadership of a company and say this is how I feel and this is what I want to see in this mm-hmm. company, etc. Um, but you know, if you know, for those that are listening, that's been working really great for us. Um, it's like you said, it's just like ask the people and. And I think that yep. a lot of times what we struggle with is the generational differences. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I have to talk to the Gen Zs coming in because I don't know what they want. I was like, I was like, I'm done trying to imagine. I'm just going to ask them. So I think there's a generational differences that play. And sometimes you just have to ask, um, you know, For to sure. your point, like ask people, you know, include them in a conversation. So that's a really great point about the generational difference. Um, mm-hmm. I notice a lot of Gen Zers and uh millennials um they 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 tend to lean more toward questions around company culture uh growth opportunities whereas um our earlier millennials or like our old millennials like myself and gen mm-hmm. gen x is up they uh they tend to want to talk more about benefits um health you know life insurance parental leave work-life balance because a lot of those folks in those groups are caretakers of children and elders it's really important mm-hmm. for leaders to understand like the generational differences as well. And to your point about being able to stand up and speak uh, in, a, in an all staff where founders are present, um, mm-hmm. the founders and the leaders and presidents, they have to, they have to lead by example. They have mm-hmm. to be the one, they can't just say, yes, yeah, speak up in front of me, um, but they have, to, uh, they have to exhibit some sort of vulnerability, right? Mm-hmm. I believe every leader should exhibit some sort of vulnerability that will make your team members feel safe psychologically safe right make those safe spaces for people to uh, be vulnerable and share make those safe spaces um for people to fail you know admit your failures right like 
when we look at our leaders, when we look at our CEOs, you know, we look, we tend to look at them as these uh, these perfect uh, people who have it all together, who know what they're doing. But in order for them to get where they where they got, they had to stumble and fall at some point. So I believe it's important for leaders to share their failures, right? Be vulnerable because that's that is the way you're going to create, or one of the ways you're going to help create the psychological uh, safety, the psychologically safe environment where people can stand up and say whatever it is on their mind. I was given a mic um, to speak to about 500 people at a company event. Um, and I was on a stage with some other colleagues and our CEO, and he asked me a question around, uh, I guess my philosophy on diversity and recruiting. And I shared it, you know, and I shared my philosophy and I put it out there and I didn't feel any, I didn't feel any reservations about it, you know? And, um, if there was, and of course, like, you know, in a limited time, you know, there may be, there may have been some context missing. There were some yeah. people who were like, uh, I have questions about that. Like, and I'm always open to those questions. Mm -hmm. um, but it doesn't hold it me back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like uh, a mini version absolutely. or something? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so um, so I, as I mentioned before, I'm on the sales and revenue. Uh, I oversee sales and revenue hiring. Yeah. And in that space, it is not the most diverse space. So one of my personal missions uh, at the company I work at is to help diversify the teams from at leadership levels, right, which I've been able to do this year. And one of the questions he asked me is like, what, how do I do it? And one of the things I said to them was, um, you know, if a leader comes to me, and they ask me to hire for their teams, I'm going to go into our system, I'm going to look at the org chart, and I'm going to look and see who is missing in that org chart. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to look and try to find diverse talent to fill those missing gaps. And that's not good. That's not to say that um, all my pipelines are going to have black and brown people, because believe it or not, um, some of my teams don't, some of my teams at a, at a, uh, a smaller level don't have uh, white males. And so I will look for white males to put in these, uh, in these pipelines. So, um, and that's not to say that I will not hire the best talent, whether they're white male or white woman, it doesn't matter. Um, and my track record speaks for itself, but I will make a intentional effort to source and find people from different groups mm -hmm. because the best way to foster innovation is to have different ideas. So if I'm going into, let's say LinkedIn and I'm sourcing folks and I'm just not thinking about diversity, I'm not being really intentional about it. Um, every team is going to look the same and there's not going to be any room for innovation. Um, so that was what, that is one of the things I shared mm -hmm. openly with the, with the staff is I'm going to look at your org chart. And I'm going to see who's missing and I'm mm -hmm. going to do what I can to uh, diversify the pipeline as much as I can to fill those gaps. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a little bit about what I shared, uh, in the, uh, in the all staff. I like that. And you're so right. I mean, again, like uh, I, I get where you're coming from recruitment. You're right. If you're not intentional, if you're not, you know, if you're not keeping your eyes open, because especially if we get so busy sometimes you're like, I just need to fill a role. I need to just find the best one and like move on, moving on. So unless you're intentional, um, I think that's the key. Um, now you made me Absolutely. think about my practices. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I need to go back. I need to, I need to re-interview re re some well, people. Maybe, I'm, but... I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy to grab some time offline to connect and, yeah. and share my, uh, share my philosophy a little bit more. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Um, no, that's super interesting. And so, um, talk to me a little bit more about, you know, if you had a question that you wish people would kind of ask themselves, uh, whether it's leaders or individuals, what would you encourage people to ask themselves or, you know, think about more often? It's a great question. So the one question I would ask folks to think about more often, so it's two questions. Uh, 
who am I today and who do I want to be tomorrow? Tomorrow, figuratively, of course. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and, and when I think about this in my own life, uh, I share my story a little bit. I talk a little bit about who I was before I got to where I am today. Then I was someone who was nervous about leading meetings, putting people on pedestals, uh, um, and showing up uh, as my full self, battling imposter syndrome. That is who I was. I wanted to be the opposite of those things. Um, I wanted to, and so now, you know, what I would say to myself is I want to be someone who can check imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. I want to be someone who uh, it doesn't necessarily take people down off pedestals to make myself feel better. Um, it, but if anything, put myself up on those pedestals. You know, we we tell ourselves, take folks off the pedestals. I'm not I'm not a big fan of lowering other folks to make myself feel better. So if I'm going to have you on a pedestal, then what I'm going to do is put myself on that same pedestal. Mm-hmm. So put myself on that pedestal, um, show up in meetings and be that subject matter expert and embrace your full self, uh, no matter who's talking. So that is who I wanted to be. And so I found steps to, to get there. So the questions are, who, are, who am I today and who do I want to be tomorrow? Mm-hmm. And then you'd have to, uh, I would suggest you find the, the right steps and the right people to help you get there. Um, your circle, you had to consider your circle, right? I was just having a conversation with my cousin um, last week. And one of the things he said, and it's been said in, in many different ways, but he said, if you're, if you're the smartest person in your circle, then you need a new circle. Um, if the people in your circle aren't going to help elevate you, um, whether uh, intentionally helping you or whether their actions inspire you to, uh, to take it to the next level, um, you need to find a new circle that's going to help you to get there. You're going to have to find the resources. Um, if you're listening or watching, you've got two podcasters who are in the business of uplifting people. Um, listen to podcasts, read books. Um, and this doesn't have to be limited to you as a professional. This can be mm-hmm. your professional life. This can be you as a parent. This can be you uh, in your faith. Um, you know, just ask yourself, who am I today and who do I want to be tomorrow? So those mm-hmm. are the two questions that I would uh, that I would pose to folks that I they should that. really, really consider. Yeah, those are awesome. Um, and before I ask you the final question, tell us a little bit about where do you hang out at online, uh, where if people want to get in touch with you, if they want to listen to the podcast, maybe be a guest on your podcast, um, where can they find you? Yes, I'm very active on LinkedIn. So you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm also very, at, well, not as active, uh, but I'm sort of active on Instagram. Uh, you can find me at the one J Allen. So that's the number one J Allen. I'm often posting there. Um, and then the Working at Work podcast, you can go to workingatwork.com is where you can find the show. You can also find the show on Apple, Spotify, and um, the Amazon app. Okay, awesome. And my last question to you, if you had a magic stick to change something in the world, what would it be? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, just one thing? I'm sure <laughs> no, there's um... many. Just one, one today, for today. Yeah, 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 one for today. I would, I would bestow empathy on everyone. Mm. Um, and for those who know me, they know that my top strength is empathy. Uh, I think if people were more empathetic, it would solve a lot of the world's problems, from war to psychological safety to parenting. Um, mm. One of the things that I think helps me to be an effective leader at work, an effective recruiter at work, is the empathy I have for my direct report, is the empathy I have for my team members. I will check in with them and say, hey, how, how y'all doing? Are you, are you, are you drowning? Are you suffering? Mm-hmm. 
And if they tell me yes, then that really makes me work harder to find someone for them. Mm. Um, I try to use more empathy when I'm interacting with my children. Um, I try to put myself in that seven-year-old's position when they're upset about something. I try to put myself in my four-year-old's position when he's upset about something, right? Um, so I try to be a good parent to my daughter, my son, using empathy. Um, my wife, uh, whenever she brings something to my attention that I don't necessarily agree with, mm-hmm. I try to see it from her side. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom, my family, my friends, my siblings, um, mm-hmm. I always try to put myself in other people's shoes. So I think, um, yeah, so to answer your question, if I had a, you know, mm-hmm. a wand that I can wave, uh, it would, it would be to the, I would, I would use it to bestow empathy on everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, the world would just be a much better place if, uh, if people were more empathetic and people uh, were more open to the other side and not just seeing things from their own perspective. Mm. I couldn't agree more on that. I couldn't agree more. I'll double down on that empathy <laughs> magic wand. Um, thank you so much for joining me today. Really, I had a great conversation with you and um, I, I look forward to what's to come on working at work and uh, look forward to listening to more of your episodes as well. Well, thank you so much, Elena, for having me on the show. It was a great conversation. I had a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Uh-huh.